Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, this is The Stinger, and you are listening to Sports Guys Talking Wrestling, where it's always showtime. Tune it in and then tear off the knob. When they're not covering the sports world, they're talking about the world of professional wrestling. It's Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. Now, here's Stu Myrick. It is Sports Guys Talking Wrestling on the road. Stu Myrick here. Thank you so much for joining me. I am on location I am at the Plaza Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada for the 57th annual Cauliflower Alley Club Reunion. Such a great event. Looking forward to seeing a lot of legends here uh, over the next couple of days. After what seemed like months of promotion and building, well, the build didn't actually start until like, you know, three weeks ago, but... After what seemed like months, we finally had AEW All-In in London, 81,035, a new paid attendance record in pro wrestling. Uh, it was, by all accounts, a great show. But someone that can that was there that can help me break it down joins me now on the hotline, a great friend from What Culture Wrestling, Michael Hamflit. Follow him on X Hi. at Michael Hamflit. Michael, how are you, man? I'm very well. How are you, Steve? I'm doing good. All right. So uh, I always like to start these things, uh, and we'll get into some of the particulars, but overall grade for AEW All-In in London. Ooh, I'm feeling still like an A-, minus. genuinely. Uh, as I left the stadium, I thought it was the greatest AEW pay-per-view I'd ever seen. Um, I understood the live bias kind of makes a bit of a difference. So I got back and I watched it when I got home last night and the grades didn't drop that much. Honestly, like going match by match, there's no bad matches on there. The good is very good. And I was so impressed with how Tony Khan structured the card specifically. I think that was maybe the biggest victory. Uh, there was a lot of complaints, plenty from me about the build and on the night, I felt like enough of those were addressed in the way that he laid out the card and a way that he made certain things feel bigger by where they were placed. And I just, I was so, genuinely, as an overall show, I think it was far greater than some of the some of its parts that we were maybe concerned about on the way in. Yeah, I, I, I and I, I kind of felt the same way. This was definitely, it was definitely a home run uh, for, you know, AEW's first, you know, appearance in Europe, much less a major yeah. pay-per-view. Uh, the build was questionable, to say the least. But you're right. It's felt like a lot of that got addressed during the show, during the broadcast, and it was... And it felt like just a victory not only for AEW, but for pro wrestling in general that for for all intents and purposes, 
WWE doesn't no longer has that stranglehold on the international markets. AEW is now making their waves at least internationally. So um, I we got to start off with the report. It was uh, confirmed this morning by Justin Brasso from Sports Illustrated, our good friend, uh, that CM Punk and Jack Perry have been suspended mm -hmm. after their altercation. There have been multiple reports about what happened. Um, we know that Jack Perry, during his zero-hour match with Hook, they were fighting on the limo that Jack Perry came in on, uh, and he made a reference to some, you know, uh, some sort of deal that he had with punk about using real glass during a collision episode. Give me, give me what you let's what, you know, or what you've heard and just give me your thoughts on whether this could overshadow what was a successful uh, venture there by AEW. I mean, I certainly hope it doesn't overshadow the event. I'd like to think it wouldn't. And I think ultimately that will happen through the force of will of most fans. I think it's okay to be fascinated by this latest locker room drama if that's to your taste. I quite like a bit of it. I think we're all guilty of kind of wanting to know what goes on when things like this go down. And I've only heard the same reports that everybody else has heard. And I like to think when these stories come out, especially when there's clear stories from maybe from both camps and both sides, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. So you can probably take a little bit of everything of what you heard and find your own kind of relatively, like you can find your relative compromise. It's a shame a lot of the wrestlers can't because I feel like as fans, we can probably find our compromise between like what actually happened here. Um, but I do think it's like, obviously I understand that people feel concerned that this will just take away so much of the the goodwill that All In has generated and a lot of the praise for the product. I don't think it will. I just think right now we're kind of living with both. They're kind of coexisting uneasily with one another. I certainly think it's less than ideal for Collision going forward and less than ideal for All Out. And I think AEW will have, this will only add to the domestic business issues that AEW has, you know, but I don't believe it'll take away from the experience that people had and the memories that they had, not least because... CM Punk Samoa Joe was just a wrestling work of art. I think if you consider that all of this took place before Punk went out there, had he walked out with a black eye or a split lip or torn gear, and all people could talk about was what on earth has happened to CM Punk here, that would have detracted from the match. But when the match left such an indelible memory with people, I think, like I say, I think both things can be true. I think you can love what you saw on Sunday night then equally be left with quite a quite an invested level of the the ongoings between Jack Perry and CM Punk. I think it's very sad it's happened. I mm -hmm. think um, it's it's very easy to place blame on either side. Really, I think there's fault on both sides. I think in every situation over the last couple of years, there's been faults on each side, and I don't just mean the wrestlers. I mean from a leadership point of view as well. I think ultimately. After the particularly after last year's big blow up with Brawl Out, that was probably an opportunity to just pull a tablecloth away and accept that whatever systems were in place to try and keep everybody happy hadn't worked. And it was time to have difficult conversations and maybe set in place new structures and ways in which to deal with these things. And obviously, 
this is complete speculation, but it doesn't feel like that can have possibly have happened if we are now a year on and back here. I'm a huge CM Punk fan. I believe that wrestling is better with him. I believe that products and matches are better with him in it. But equally, I can acknowledge that there is blame on both sides here and a number of issues that were, from the outside at least, never truly addressed. This was, sadly, maybe not timing at Wembley, but a lot of this, I think all of us collectively are kind of agreeing quietly that something like this was inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this, and you might, you kind of all, probably already answered this, but does this make Tony Khan bringing CM Punk back this summer, does it turn that into a mistake? I don't know. It's, it's really hard because... I mean, just speaking from my own personal view, no, because I got to watch him work again in uh, Wembley Stadium, of all places. And I would dare say to any CM Punk fan who's been at any of these collision tapings and his hit rate has been incredibly high, I think, since returning. I think his work has pretty much found that level he was at, you know, before uh, All Out 2022. I would say that fans, at least, have been quite happy with what they've seen out of CM Punk. I don't know. I Like... I believe that all competitive athletic locker rooms are going to have incidents like this. What troubles me about what we've had here and what we've had the last, like sort of last year, and then I guess like in contrast to some of the other fights, if you use kind of Eddie Kingston and um, Sammy Guevara as an example, Mm. or the story that came out about Thunder Rosa being kind of gracious enough to want to make amends with the locker room. It feels like the systems haven't been put in place so that when all of this blows up, which things sometimes do, nobody comes together at the end of it. People are blown apart by fights and by grudges and by things that are said on camera. You know, CM Punk did not instigate the fight on Sunday, but it can be argued that he instigated the belief that you can make comments on camera because he's done that about Hangman Page, just as Hangman Page had done about him. It's kind of like the lack of an obvious rule for talent means that this was kind of bound to happen. And after the fact, it doesn't feel like people are coming together. It doesn't feel like, obviously there must've been some conversation where punk side and the elite side have had to at least compromise so they can all coexist on the same roster. But this doesn't feel anything like Guevara and Kingston or Thunder Rosa or similar situations we've heard like that. It doesn't feel like that whatever's happened has brought them together. And I wouldn't pin that all on CM Punk. I do pin that on Tony Khan. I do pin it on it being like an organisational matter. I feel like it's easy for us to say it in our jobs that if we fought with our co-workers, we would probably be fired or we would probably like suffer severe like disciplinary measures, right? But one of the reasons why we don't, other than being civil and not brought from zero to 100 due to adrenaline rushes from the crazy job we have because we're wrestlers, is that our bosses and our management structures and the places we work kind of ensure that we don't do those things. And this is not the first fight, is it? And it just sort of feels like, it just sort of feels like the, like I say, it just felt destined to happen. And I I hope that CM Punk doesn't leave AEW. I hope he doesn't leave wrestling. Uh, I have my suspicions that Tony Khan does too. I don't think Tony Khan wants CM Punk to go anywhere. And I think it's, I almost think it's too easy for, especially for those people that don't like CM Punk, it's too easy to say, look, 
he's he is our common denominator. It's time for him to go. I I personally don't know if Tony Khan would share that sentiment. I think he sees a value in an emotional level, and he obviously sees a value at a financial level that maybe supersedes that. We'll see, you know. Yeah, the we will see. It's not going to go away, is it? Yeah, you're right, and, and and you're right, and I think you're right in the fact that Tony Khan does see value in CM Punk. I think you know he wouldn't have brought him back in the first place if he didn't see the value. Tony Khan is, you know, he he said it during the post social media scrum. He's accustomed to some of this stuff, you know, being you know part of the ownership with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL, yeah. you know, owner for Fulham FC. They're in Premier League. So he he knows locker room dynamics, you know, on all levels. So um, I don't want to see CM Punk leave. I, I think that you're right. He does. He does definitely add some entertainment value to AEW, to the product. Um, I guess time will tell. We'll see what happens. And you're right. That match with Samoa Joe was a was a masterpiece. It was a fantastic match. You know, Punk finally getting the victory over Joe. Uh, it was uh, it was it was a good way to start it, and uh, it, the the stories that came out afterwards. I think our friend Nick Hausman from House of Wrestling reported that AEW didn't even send didn't send a car to to Heathrow mm-hmm. for CM Punk, and he had to find his way to the hotel via the 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 tube, and had to get fans to help. It feels like there's enough blame to go around multiple parties, not only CM Punk, but Jack Perry and AEW. Uh, mm. You know, it feels like a kind of a little bit of a little bit of a miss there. So let's hope that it it's limited to just what happened in London. But uh, the rest of the card was fantastic. Um, you had uh, I, I was. I'll go to the to the women's title match. Uh, Soraya winning the women's world title there in London in front of her family, in fr- you know, front for front of a home crowd, for lack of a better term. I think I was I was thinking that they were going to let Sheeta get her win. You know, they talked a lot about how Sheeta had won the title in front of no fans, but in the pandemic era. And the, it was going to be a way to kind of pay her back for, you know, performing as the women's world champion during the pandemic by giving her a win in front of the biggest crowd that AEW seen. And, you know, again, pay attention, biggest crowd in wrestling. Uh, but at the same time, I can see why they gave the title Soraya. Talk for a moment about Soraya winning the world title in that four way. I did. Uh, I did sense that they were going to strap up Soraya, actually, just because I thought it was a an opportunity to kind of, you know, if this is going to be uh, AW's attempt at a WrestleMania-adjacent show, well, what am I saying WrestleMania-adjacent? We've got it now. It's bigger than any WrestleMania, you know? Like, this was, mm-hmm. it's looked, and it was so strange, wasn't it, to see it, a show that looked like WrestleMania being done by the self-identified challenger brand. It was so strange visually, I felt. And I just felt like they were looking for two or three big moments that could be there in the highlight packages that could be held up years from now as part of this history-making night. And obviously, Soraya being from the UK, and there being a lot of uh, 
a lot of different things about her life, a lot of different, you know, she's a controversial figure to say the least, but a lot of struggles that she's had that have been extremely unfair in her life. To see, at very least, her be able to hold that belt as a moment of vindication for them was was quite emotional, truthfully. Um, I think regardless of what you think about some of the, maybe the other aspects of like a, a family or a personal life, just for that, for the woman that had, had to retire, for the woman that had obviously had so much of her private life unfairly exposed and dragged out, I think that was an opportunity for AEW to do something just nice. And I, and I think they did. And I think they can be commended for that. The match, oddly enough, um, yeah, Sheeda was sort of the fourth woman in her own title match mm-hmm. on reflection. I think if you think about the layout of the match, they were big on, and I thought they did an incredible job with this, by the way, they were really big on coming up with the legitimate reasons for the outcasts to fall out. You know, every three-way and four-way that you've seen, it's like the heels only realize halfway through that they both can't win. So rather than it just being a fight over who wins the belt, coming up with the idea for Tony Storm to slug Soraya's mother and that be what sets the wheels in motion for breaking the outcasts up, I thought was inspired. The idea that Tony Storm was ready to break Soraya's neck on that bottom turnbuckle until Ruby Soho tried to fix it. And then when she couldn't, her kind of throwing her hands up in the air. That was a very credible beginning of the end for the outcasts, I thought. Um, so they kind of they hid a story within this match, which for AEW Women's Division, and I know this is quite a low bar to clear sometimes, but I was quite impressed that they hid a story there. And in the meantime, Britt Baker as the person not so much to, obviously not to take the pin, but as the, the kind of the original big star of this division, like Sheeda really, to get the flowers, to get the moments and the the scale and the size of the event. It was important that she was there, but obviously on the night she was, again, like kind of a bit part player to the other things going on. The stomp as Soraya held Tony Storm in the Scorpion Crosslock will be the spot I remember the most from the match. So Britt Baker certainly contributed to it in that respect. But yeah, this was this was kind of the outcast story and obviously Soraya's big moment. Yeah. I, um, like I said, it, I mean, it was great on Soraya. Like, uh, you know, and you're right. The layout to to see the breakup of the outcasts. Of course, we'll see how they follow that up on Dynamite tomorrow night. And then, of course, all out this weekend. We'll see how they follow it up. But yeah, it, it was and it was a great moment for Soraya. Um, and especially having her family there. Uh, let's talk about the main event. Or let's talk about MJF and Adam Cole. Um, this has been probably just about the best story that AEW has told, possibly in their existence. This rivalry that turns into a friendship, that turns into a tag team. They start the show off with MJF and Adam Cole winning the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. Adam Cole becomes, I think I tweeted out, he is now the eighth Triple Crown winner in Ring of Honor history uh, with winning the tag titles. He's won, he won, the, of course, the only three-time Ring of Honor World Champion, and he's also won the TV championship. So he is now a, a Triple Crown winner. And then the main event... For the AEW World Title, and it was the story of who's going to turn, who's going to turn, and there were instances. There were so many, you know, instances where either man could have turned, and in the end, as corny as it sounds, friendship wins over. They do the hug, 
fade to black and just talk about i mean and again you were there in wembley stadium talk about the reaction of the fans and just talk about that story and how we could see it continue not only this week at all out but in weeks to come i mean I personally was absolutely thrilled to see the way this play out. And just from being in the venue, and I hope this came across on television, I watched it last night, and I think even though, like, obviously it never feels quite as loud, it was the one match when I was re-watching the show where the audio felt closest to what it was like being in the building, which was to say that it just felt like every minor move got a major reaction. So every time that there appeared to be that moment where things were finally breaking down and it was and it was Adam Cole who was appearing to reveal that it was him that was going to break up the team or that it was him that had just been waiting to pick his moment to stab MJF in the back and then he didn't. Every time it looked like it was going to happen, you felt the dread, it coursed through the building and then every time he didn't, you felt a wave of relief and then we went again. I honestly thought, and this might sound a bit hyperbolic or a bit of recency bias because we're only talking a couple of days removed from the event. But honestly, I think we were witnessing like the birth of like a new match genre masterpiece, genuinely. Like this had a little bit of the NXT TakeOver epic, which a lot of people got quite sick of. You know, the melodrama and the sort of the stopping and the monologuing and things like that. This had a little bit of that. This had just enough pro wrestling violence to never betray that this was an actual wrestling match. You know, if you think of Adam Cole doing the suplex on the steel stairs, you know, just how physical it got in the closing stretch when both were desperately trying to win. Um, it had comedy, frankly, comedy, the likes of which I've never seen in a, a main event of this scale. You know, there's always a time and a place for comedy on the undercard, so it's said, you know, funny ain't money and all that sort of thing. It's always felt like comedy can only exist on a certain place on a wrestling show. And all of a sudden, you've got these two doing, for example, the, the chair toss as a bit of slapstick. Yeah. One of, honestly, my ultimate takeaway from the entire show, but one of my favorite moments ever attending a live show was Bryce Remsburg selling when he'd been hit with the Panama Sunrise and then recovering just enough to make a count of one, but then collapsing again. The audience, mm -hmm. a ripple of laughter was as if a stand-up comedian had just told a joke because they saw Bryce's body flop. And as tense as you are for a one, and oh, he's coming a two, he might come a three. The tension is just lifted with laughter. Mm -hmm. Think about that in your regular life when there's a moment of tension and laughter just temporarily lifts the tension. How good that feels. And then you were transported back into the tension because Bryce is putting his arm up and he's about to count two. And I, there were so many moments like that that were pivoted between. Look, the word cinema is thrown around a lot in wrestling at the moment. And I think sometimes it's used as a bit of a joke. Sometimes I think people mean it seriously as ref in reference to the bloodline and things like that. This had action, comedy, drama, and ultimately it was a little bit of a love story. This was a cinematic match played out in front of a live audience. I like if I, if this isn't becoming clear, I can't say enough good things about this. And I don't think as well, it's just as easy as saying great structure. I think it's in the hands of the people that have got to deliver it and have got to tell that story. And Adam Cole and MJF are just two of the best the very best to do it. They've been two of the very best to tell this story since they came together. You had to believe that Adam Cole was the only guy nice enough in the locker room to just roll his eyes and accept MJF. 
you had to believe that Adam Cole was so nice that maybe he's nice enough to turn MJF nice. You had like it, there are so few wrestlers that you could do this story with, and I think that's why so many people have gravitated towards it. And I think that's why the hug and no turn was greeted with such joy. Because as a collective, I feel like we want more from this. Like, I was so pleased when they won the belts because in my gut, I thought they're not like they're not going to have them win the belts and then tear that up straight away. They might tease it, but they're not going to do it. And now I kind of welcome a four, five, six-month title reign where Adam Cole waits in the wings until it's time for him to get another title shot. Can you imagine MJF is defending his title against the heel? I don't know, Ricky, Ricky Stark, something. And like Adam Cole is just wishing him the best and he's just in his corner. And what he's really doing is waiting for his next opportunity and he might be waiting to strike. Mm -hmm. But now we get that tension. They've somehow folded it all the way back in and you get to watch it roll out bit by bit by bit. It's You're not wrong about it being... I think this year we've talked about AW's lack of like really great grab-you-by-the-heart stories. So this feels like oh, it's the best story of 2023. I think that's probably underselling it. I think it does go into that AW like punk MJF page Omega it goes right into that top tier and I think the match on Sunday kind of cemented it there for me like a wonderful wonderful piece of work I I agree with totally got to take a quick time out after the break more all in recap plus a look at all out coming up this weekend with Michael Hamlet from what culture wrestling you're listening to sports guys talking wrestling with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, just in case you're deaf, dumb, blind, stupid, or let's just assume poor, this is MJF, and you're listening to the Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. Back here on Sports Guys Talking Wrestling, Stu Myrick, Michael Hamflip from What Culture Wrestling, talking about AEW All In. Would it be fair to say that the main event match with MJF and Adam Cole that broke most every wrestling trope we've seen in in the past. Would you say would that would it be safe to say that? I feel like that. That's that was I felt like that's what we were watching. I felt like they'd somehow, you know, Adam Cole likes the video games. I felt like somehow they'd found like a secret level or a cheat code um that so few other wrestlers have been able to even access. It was almost as if you kind of because your brain is trained having watched however much wrestling you've watched over the years. 
that if they've gotten the funny out of the way and now it's getting serious, you can't go backwards. And they did. And they mm -hmm. went back and forth and back and forth. And then it wasn't like it wasn't loyal to the story. They spent, they started this feud having a draw and MJF saying no to five minutes and then spent the next, what, two months, three months building up a double clothesline just so they could do a double clothesline to get them all the way back <laughs> to that five more minute spot. Yeah. That's not an accident. That's master craftsmanship. And I just think it's, I think it's kind of what we all watch for, especially when you're a bit long in the tooth. You know, when you've seen, when you feel like you've seen everything, it's a bit like when you see one little gif of a high flyer and you didn't think that rotation was humanly possible. This is the wrestling storytelling version of that, like a wheel getting reinvented in front of your very eyes. Yeah, I think you're right. It, um, Adam Cole, you you and I have had interactions with him so many mm -hmm. times. We know, and he is he is genuinely probably just about the nicest guy in the yeah. industry, not only on camera but off camera. He's such a great guy. MJF is such a complex individual, and I've had interactions with him not only backstage in AEW, but I worked with him on the independent scene in Austin. Uh, and it's this evolution of MJF as a baby face. This has got to be that kind of like if MJF Adam Cole is one, is the number one story, then one mm -hmm. A's got to be the evolution of, of MJF as a baby face. Talk for a second about what we have seen so far from MJF and again, what we will see, hopefully see in the weeks to come. Well, it's, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think as much as it felt like in the match, they were steering it towards the Adam Cole turn and there's been clues on television that, you know, remember like the stabbing in the back motion with the fist and thing, and obviously Roddy Strong's involvement. It's felt like they're kind of leaning you uh, think Adam Cole is going to turn almost as a diversionary tactic because yet again, MJF is going to fool us all. Once again, we try, just like CM Punk did in their story, um, just like MJF did when he won the title, like with William Regal, this idea that he wants to take you in only to then screw you even worse than before and make you feel like the biggest fool. And, you know, the devil and the snake and all of these things, it's like, I'm telling you from the very beginning, I'm not stabbing you in the back, I'm stabbing you right in the front. And yet we persist. And it's like, a, I feel like what this character, and it's, you know, I, like I probably get accused of speaking in too grandiose terms about wrestling, but, you know, we love it. Like mm -hmm. MJF, I feel like is almost not just working on his own character, but if you're an invested fan, he's playing to you as a human. If you are a more cynical set person, you are never, ever going to trust the television character MJF. If you are a more open-hearted person, you are going to want to believe that this time is the time that he's fixed himself and he's ready to be the best version of himself. And he allows you to think both those things simultaneously. We could now, if Cole and MJF stick together for six months, we could see six months of an MJF babyface character. And then that could come to an end with MJF turning on Adam Cole. And it would just turn out that he was never a babyface all along. He just had to keep up the premise, like the pretense, a little bit longer than he wanted to. It's like, ah. I wanted to turn all the way back at Wembley Stadium, but I, you wouldn't let me. You know, like he could say that and we'd have to go, yeah, you got us again. You goddamn got us again. And I just, I think he, the way he kind of asks those questions of us as fans is far more interesting than just the kind of the wrestling thing of just telling you like, no, 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 boo this man. 
share this man. You are yeah. kind of deciding yourself whether or not you want to give into it again. And ultimately, that's going to make how he reflects on other wrestlers better. It's going to make all of his matches more, um, like, sort of uniquely tense because mm -hmm. you're going to want to see him. If he's fighting a heel, you're going to want to see him wrestle as the earnest babyface. But if he's wrestling as a babyface and then he cheats a little bit, do you want to chastise him or do you want to ruffle his hair and be like, now, come on, Max. It's it's such an interesting proposition that we're going to get. And again, just to go back to the, the result on Sunday, I think a lot of the joy wasn't just because people love watching these two hug it out. I think a lot of the joy is because people want to watch a lot more of these two. Yeah, I think you're right. I've, I've, said, uh, I've said so many times before, look, MJF behind the scenes is, is a wonderful individual. Uh, yeah, as I said, I've had interactions with him uh for several years and he is you know he, and it's it's is it adds so many layers to the storytelling now with mjf trying to be you know he's he and he says it he's still a scumbag but he is now our scumbag so yeah. it's going to be fun to watch this um let's talk for a second uh some of the other matches uh the 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 six-man tag with the golden elite and Bullet Club Gold and Takeshita. It ends with Takeshita stealing the pin on Kenny Omega. That's going to lead to Omega versus Takeshita at All Out. Uh, this rivalry is, you know, this is definitely one of those rooted in in a lot of just, uh, you know, Omega wanting to get back at Don Callis. Give me your thoughts on Golden Elite versus Bullet Club Gold and Takeshita. I, th I think it was. Well, it was. It was. I was going to say it was fine. It was better than fine, but I think ultimately it was. The, it was the only match it could have been, which is to say, like there was a lot of uh, debate and discourse about Kenny Omega, especially, but also Hangman Page and certain others that perhaps should have been in, not just a singles match, but in a match that had a story befitting of their, like, AW legacy. It was almost asked of the audience to shoulder, what, like, several years of really, like, New Japan character-based mm -hmm. stuff rather than anything we've seen in AW. It was... And I just think that ultimately hampered how... Like, how high the ceiling for the match could be. The match was entertaining. You know, like, this was part of the problem when the conversation was coming up. I think a lot of people misunderstood the complaints, especially from British fans that have waited. Like, I last saw Kenny Omega in the UK the last time he wrestled, and that was in, in the UK, and that was in 2017. So it's been six years since Kenny Omega wrestled in this country. And I think a lot of the frustration coming from the, you know, 81,000 people that were attending were that there was, you know, maybe a good faith purchase of a ticket made that reasonably expected a Kenny Omega singles match or a Kenny Omega mm. big story or things like that. And we didn't really get it, and the match wasn't bad. But what else do you expect from the six out there? The six out there are not going to go out there and tank the show. They're, they're just not. But I think it did reveal that the premise for the match was a little thin and that the real yeah. – this was a match to build a match, wasn't it? This was, a, as you say, yeah. this was a match for the benefit of All Out rather than for the stage of All In. And I, I can't help thinking that's a little bit of a shame because the work was great. Jay White was a joy, as he always is, playing mm -hmm. the particular kind of conniving heel. Um, 
like all the talk is around Kenny Omega, but I think you could have the exact same argument about Hangman Page. Did he really feel like he was given the opportunity to shine on this AEW's biggest ever stage? I would say no. He was just a baby face that got to have a nice match. The best thing about this match was that it was on second. Like, I dare say, after some of the more evocative or heftier performances, this might have been the one that people somehow, considering they had Page and Omega in, this might have been the one that people might have to choose to go to the toilet or go get a drink or go get a snack because the card had some pretty weighty material on and this wasn't really that. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the same stampede match. I think I was a little surprised that the good guys won. Eddie Kingston, best friends, Orange Cassidy and Penta. Um, I thought that BCC and Santana Ortiz could would have taken the victory, and then it would have led to more more of the you know split off. You mm -hmm. know, Eddie versus Claudio. Orange defends against somebody, and uh, that was still as you know. I think that was as violent as you could see in a stadium full, you know, 81,000 full. Uh, it was still entertaining. It did feel a little like maybe there was something missing. Give me your thoughts on Stadium Stampede. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think, truthfully, I don't think this was in the plans. I think if, like initially, I feel like, you know, we, we heard uh, a bit of scuttlebutt about what maybe some original matches might have been or what maybe might have been in Tony Khan's plan had it not been for injuries or like the books re-signing seemed to change that tag match and lots of little things like that. And if you, even if you look at the makeup of the two teams, this doesn't feel like something you would maybe put on paper two, three months ago, like two, three months out from the show. And not least because, and I was very fortunate to be there, in May, in Vegas, we had Anarchy in the Arena. And back then, you were told by Tony Khan in the scrum that Anarchy in the Arena feels like it might become a staple of Double or Nothing. It might become something that is a feature of the Las Vegas show. And then we basically have an expanded version of that. That's ultimately what this was, was an expanded Anarchy in the Arena because you can use so much more space in the building. What I will say for it, which this is going to sound like a negative, but I promise it's a positive, um, Again, going back to the card placement and going back to the way this show was ordered, this, despite the violence and despite the, the high drama with Moxley and Kingston, this was kind of a palate cleanser, I thought. We'd had the real intensity of the books and FTR, and you that was almost like, right, like this was the midpoint of the show. We've done Punk, we've done the Elite, we've done all the names that you maybe would have once associated with the top of the card. We're going to create this really fun... Uh, spectacle. I wouldn't call it a WWE spectacle because they wouldn't trade in that kind of violence, but in terms of stunts and moments and like fireworks, not literal, but you know what I mean? Like those kind of things. This was that. And then after that, back to the kind of really serious business. This wasn't serious business, but it was very, very, it was seriously good fun. And I think that's how you get these great cards. That's how you get your WrestleMania 17s. There's got to be a gimmick battle royal next to a TLC because you need that levity and you need that light and shade. And somehow, despite how dark a lot of this got, this was the light. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, FTR successfully defend the tag titles against Young Bucks. Um, I think I had it in my mind with the Young Bucks re-signing for you know a few more years. 
that Tony was going to give them the tag titles. That's not what happened. FTR retains. Uh, was that was that the match you wanted to see at All In? Was the quality deserving of being at All In? Just talk about the tag title match. It was definitely going into the card. Um, outside of the main event, I think the I don't want to see, I can't speak on behalf of my entire country, but it certainly felt like the one that fit the show more than anything else on it. It was, I think we were looking for a card, and this sounds greedy, I appreciate in hindsight, but we were looking for a card that if we're being told we're attending the biggest wrestling event ever, full of matches that are theoretically the biggest ever. Mm-hmm. And Young Bucks FTR still is the biggest tag match in wrestling. And by the simple act of rejecting a handshake, it's probably still the biggest tag match in wrestling. I can't think of two teams elsewhere in the world, especially now that the Usos have split and maybe like Usos Young Bucks or Usos FTR. You are looking at the two tag teams that you probably want to see face more than anybody else. So the the platform felt right. And the match uh, the match got where it needed to go by the end. I think that that's... I don't want to be harsh on it because it was an unbelievable, dramatic, like near fulfilled, uh, unpredictable highlight reel of some of the best bits of both teams. All the callbacks to the first two matches, all their own love letters to tag team wrestling with the types of things they were trying on each other. The fact that they just know each other so well. There was the bit where Dax knew that he was about to turn around into a big rig from the Young Bucks and just sort of had to turn around and accept his inevitable fate. These are like real, these are characters that have lived with these people and lived with these fights. And I think that came across really well. Um, but by the end, it's funny, it didn't, oddly, in like as you were racing towards the finish, it kind of didn't feel like this was going to be the end of the story. So when the Young Bucks rejected the handshake, I personally was thinking, well, this is 2-1, but it's not the rubber, I guess. I guess we go again. You know, if it was if it was me and Tony Khan was faced with a bit of a selection crisis ahead of All Out, I would be tempted to rush this back onto All Out. Yeah. Make them I, go think... again. I, know, I know it sounds like a panic booking, but I think this might be a night for some panic booking. Something big, something just that people wouldn't expect. You take these incredible toys you've got and you smush some of them together. And I think a rematch so soon would shock everybody to such an extent that you get to see probably an entire, they're, they're geniuses out there. You'd probably get an entirely different match than the one we got last last week. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's, it's very possible. I mean, we'll find out more about all out probably tomorrow night on dynamite. Um, before we get to all out the coffin match sting at, and we say it every special, but 64 years old, you know, he has had a run, you know, that is, almost unrivaled in pro wrestling Mm -hmm. and he is still out there taking these bumps the dive onto the table and everything of course darby allen sting getting the win but i mean for sting to have that kind of match in front of that crowd easily the biggest crowd he has performed in front of and Mm -hmm. utah and we're talking a career that spans i think we're going on 40 years for him to have that moment in front of that crowd, just talk for a moment about having the icon sting there at Wembley. 
Oh, amazing. I was very, very lucky to see Sting working a TNA house show when TNA used to do the tours here in the UK. And it was magic because it was Sting. But mm-hmm. you thought you were kind of getting his last days and the matches were popcorn stuff. It was all the high spots and go home, you know. And there was nothing wrong with that because it was Sting. You're in the presence of an icon. And then we find ourselves, what, 10, 13 years later, and he's working substantially more involved matches, Mm -hmm. substantially more dangerous matches than he was 13 years prior. Look, I think the match, you just really, you know, eloquently described it. It kind of like the match spoke for itself in terms of what everybody did. But I, I was thinking about this the next day. And, you know, on Saturday, as we all kind of as a community were like trying to come to terms with Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt passing Mm -hmm. 24 hours between. And this coffin match, there was like a little whisper of, do you think we should maybe just drop that element of it? Is that a bit close to the bone as as an audience? Not that it was in bad taste, just that it was like, is that a thing now to maybe just quietly shove off to one side while we all mourn, while we all sort of grieve in our own ways for these two like lost legendary figures, you know, different kind of legends, but legends all the same, you know? And then this match somehow, and I don't think this was necessarily the intent. This could just be my sort of read on it. This felt like somehow a coffin match became like a comedic stipulation rather than a serious one. And the match kind of felt like a love letter to both, you know, mm-hmm. Bray Wyatt was never supposed to be the next undertaker. He was supposed to be the first Bray Wyatt and his character like manipulated how you could use the sci-fi elements, you know? It didn't have to just be one way. And you got that here in the co- in the coffin match. It didn't just have to be a roller guy into the coffin. You can get that thing in the ring. You can throw somebody into it. You know, you can do whatever. You can make it fun. You can make it comedic. You can make it silly. You can have a bat be the thing that stops the lid going shut, you know? You can just do mm-hmm. daft stuff with it. And then Terry Funk, you know, like had this career where everybody that he ever worked with spoke of him like they couldn't speak any higher of him. And you hear the stories of companies that were just privileged to have him doing whatever he could for all of the younger wrestlers, Mm -hmm. like going out there and risking his body, but loving it and doing it for for everybody else beyond himself. You know, it was nice to go out there, I'm sure, and be Terry Funk one more night. But he was there to try and help everybody he shared a locker room with. And you watch Sting at his age and Christine Cage, a veteran, going out there and doing what they did for Swerve and for Derby on this night, on this stage. Sting has never worked in a crowd that big, as you say, but Sting has seen and done it all. Christian Cage has worked WrestleManias. He's done WWE's biggest nights. He must have loved this, but will also be thinking, yep, this reminds me of this one. This reminds me of this one. Swerve and Derby got that night with these two legends. And I, like, I just, it had me thinking about like the one match that people thought, ah, is this in bad taste? Turned out to be this wonderful, loving tribute to the legacies of these two men. And I don't think it was by design, but it was certainly something that I think was a very, very happy after effect. Yeah, I think you're right. It was, it was definitely a love letter and it was a great tribute to both Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Coming up after the break, Michael Hamlet will help me preview Sunday's AEW All Out in Chicago. That's coming up next on Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Devils! Settle! Back on Sports Guys Talking Wrestling, Stu Myrick and What Culture Wrestling's Michael Hamflit. Let's get to All Out, which is this coming Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, on Bleacher Report in the United States. Fight TV, PPP.com, and all the other platforms internationally. You'll be at the United Center in Chicago. As of right now, five matches. And again, we're doing this on Tuesday. So we will hear more matches, I'm sure, tomorrow night on Dynamite and possibly on Rampage and uh, Collision. But as of now, five matches. We mentioned Kenny Omega facing Kineske Takeshita, excuse me. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs will face Miro. That's just going to be. Big meaty man slapping man meat. Yeah, we know that one. That's going to be good. Um, the interesting one, or so tomorrow night on Dynamite, and Tony Khan booked this during the media scrum for All In. Orange Cassidy is going to face Penta El Zero Mero for the AEW International title tomorrow night on Dynamite. The winner of that match will then defend the international title against John Moxley at All at All Out. Um, is this? Are we going to see? The international title finally come off of Orange Cassidy. I, I'm going to I'm going to safely bet Orange Cassidy wins tomorrow night on Dynamite. Does John Moxley finally end this historic reign of Orange Cassidy with that international title? It's I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, it's an enormous win for Orange Cassidy if he doesn't. So after the year that Orange Cassidy has had. There's a, this incredible reign, this incredible run, such a diverse selection of matches. Um, a win over Moxley would kind of feel like more than just like an attaboy from Tony Khan. It would feel like you are hitting a level with that international title where mm-hmm. the only place for you to go is title for title against MJF or something like that. You know, like there aren't many more um, barriers for you to cross as champion. So it does feel like that's where Moxley will do it. And I think maybe there's something to uh, maybe Moxley embracing his crueler side to get it done because Orange Cassidy has become such a, like a people's champion as the international champion. You root for him in these TV title defences like few other champions in wrestling. And I think Moxley as a heel, as good as he is, isn't necessarily always quite as, spiteful and nasty. It's going to feel quite cruel when he beats Orange Cassidy. And I, I have my suspicion that they might be going towards John Moxley and Eddie Kingston at Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. So you put a belt in that. And if you remember back for all out 2020, when Kingston and Moxley were fighting for the world title and John Moxley dared 
to mention Eddie Kingston's mother's name and say, oh, you're not going to take a belt home to Ruthie. And Eddie Kingston got right up in his face. Don't you ever say that. I'll take a belt home to her one day. The idea that you could do it at John Moxley's expense with the international title, I appreciate it only makes Moxley a transitional champion. But that's got to be a better story than Kingston beating Orange Cassidy for it. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think that'd be a good setup. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, we are going to see what, in most respects, are considered the two TV titles. Chris Statlander will defend the TBS championship against Ruby Soho. Luchasaurus defending the TNT title against Darby Allen. Uh, I feel like of those two matches, Darby Allen has the better chance of winning the title. I don't see taking the title off Chris Statlander just yet. Give me your thoughts. Who loses the title this Sunday at All Out? I neither. I don't think. Okay. I think they're still having a lot of fun with Christian being the guy that holds the belt, even if Luchasaurus is champion. And I don't think they want to give up that bit just yet. Uh, Darby Allen can very convincingly eat a defeat and recover just fine. Not least from a guy of Luchasaurus's size and stature. Christian Cage will want an exact some revenge for the coffin match. So I could well see Darby Allen suffering as a result of that. And I just think that that Christian bit, there's more to do with Christian as the guy that is holding on to the belt, even though he's not champion. And likewise, actually, Statlander. I expect this match to be good, Statlander Soho. But again, I think it could exist as the further uh, backdrop of the demise of the outcasts. If by after Dynamite, there's only two of them, because it didn't look like Tony Storm was going to be sticking around much longer, mm. we could then see Soraya fail to help Ruby. You know, the, you could picture the two of them making their big plans for when they're both world champions. And then Soraya screws the interference up and Statlander prevails. And then Ruby Soho blames Soraya and that's it. They're done. It, that sort of feels like what we were pointed towards, at least, all out. And Statlander as well is somebody else. The rain's been good, but it only really feels like it's still getting started. The division just... I wish the division was booked with a bit more dynamism and you felt like these champions especially were in stories. But at the moment, she's just kind of the working title holder. She has a challenger. She beats the challenger. She moves on. And until we get into the guts of an actual storyline, I'd rather they keep the belt on her. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, before I let you go, I want to I wanna get your thoughts. Um, we ha I had the show last week on the day that Terry Funk passed away. Talked a lot about Terry Funk. He, you, know, you mentioned about bringing guys up. He legitimized ECW. He, mm -hmm. made, he put ECW on the map. Uh, and then 24 hours later, uh, Bray Wyatt passing away at the age of 36, Wyndham Rotunda. Uh, talk first, just reflect on Bray Wyatt, what he meant to the wrestling landscape, to WWE, and what do you think his legacy is going forward? I think so, like a, a cheap plug, but myself and my colleague Michael Sidgwick put out a Bray Wyatt retrospective um, shortly after he passed. And we wanted to do that because we'd, you know, been on podcasts for years, admitting that we weren't particular fans of not so much Bray's work, but I guess like the WWE presentation of the Bray Wyatt character. It, like truthfully, and I know that like this sometimes feels uh, like cold at the expense of the wrestlers. They never got the best of the Bray Wyatt character, kind of in any incarnation. You would always get glimpses 
of just how great this could be. And I just don't think creatively they were ever set up to exploit that. They were, as a system, whether it was Vince McMahon, whether it was too many cooks in the kitchen, whatever it was, that idea, well, the multiple different ideas, because we saw so many, or if you think about a relatively short tenure and how many different iterations of the Bray Wyatt character we got, you never saw one reach the potential you knew it could reach. All that said, uh, he himself generated and fostered a love with his fans like almost nobody I can ever remember. My colleague, Michael Sidgwick, said it on that podcast. said it's quite ironic that one of his first breakthrough moments was as a cult leader because it very much felt like that's what his fans were. They were devotees to Bray Wyatt till the end. It did not matter that WWE might have taken a left turn with The Fiend so soon after they launched it, or it didn't matter that so many of the cinematic matches like betrayed so much of what the Bray Wyatt character was, or at least what he was trying to put across. The fans just loved him all the same. The merchandise sales skyrocketed any time he was involved in anything serious. The people rooted so much for his success, for his validation. And is that not what being a professional wrestler is? Are you not supposed to foster that? And regardless of what me or anybody else might think of his brand of creativity, I just don't think you get that relationship without that kind of creativity. It's wonderful that so many people in the locker room have spoke so highly of him because you want to believe that these people can be good to one another. There's enough stories of difficult locker rooms, you know, and it's obviously so sad, so sad, so young with a family and so much of a life left. And yet I think like the the legacy for how ultimately cut short it was will be that, like I say, his creativity, like, and the bond that existed between him and his fans was because of him. That doesn't like those fans aren't just looking for any old wrestler. They were looking for Bray Wyatt and he found them and he found them over and over again. The white rabbit campaign. You cannot do the white rabbit campaign. And this is not to denigrate this one wrestler that's just come into my head, but you cannot do the white rabbit campaign with an LA Knight who was debuting around the same time. You know, that's that character, that sort of incredible viral investigative, like kind of digging under the surface for clues thing can only exist for someone like a Bray Wyatt. And those are, those are special people within wrestling. And, you know, like I say, to those to those people, he was everything, and that that's there. That's out there. That's a fact. That's not that's not my subjective opinion. That's every T-shirt he ever sold. That's every time he was ever involved at a high level, in a championship position, in a high position. Like it it was as big and as powerful as wrestling got to those fans, and I think that speaks volumes to what to the legacy that he leaves. You know, I I tend to agree with you. You know, like you, I. I... I wasn't the biggest fan of the Bray Wyatt stuff, you know, whether uh, I didn't, I kind of liked the, the white family stuff, but the fiend stuff just, it, it, it wasn't for me, but I'm an older, I'm an older wrestling fan. And then, you know, this most recent reincarnation, but everything you hear about the person about Wyndham Rotunda, um, I, I had a, just a very brief chance encounter with him. Uh, it was actually, 
WrestleCon in Dallas uh, last year. I'm standing there. I'm talking to Lance Archer, and here and this is when Bray, you know, he was in between stands with WWE. Yeah. Here, here comes Bray Wyatt, and Lance introduced introduced him to me or introduced me to him, and we had just a very brief, "How you doing? Hey, it's great to see you. Good luck and everything." But in that moment, you could sense the kindness in him, mm-hmm. and, and it was he seemed genuinely uh, pleased to meet somebody and you know uh and again all the stories you hear about how kind he was backstage all the stories and like you said the you know you know with his his beautiful wife jojo and their two kids it it is so sad that he gets his life so is cut short and so you hope that the you know he will be remembered going forward not only as such a creative an innovative mind. And, and I will give that hundred hundred percent of the time, such a creative, innovative mind in the ring, but such a wonderful and caring person out of the ring. So, uh, I it's good. Go ahead. Just, no, just as well on that. Um, I think it was Swerve Strickland who tweeted words to the effect of, you know, like we should share this kind of love while people are still with us. And that, you know, that it's, I guess it doesn't go without saying, because sometimes we should all say that a little bit more. But I will, um, you know, WWE maybe don't have the best track record with this sort of thing, but I thought it was notable that they've come up with this thing where the proceeds from all of his merch will go to the family. And then straight away on last night's Raw, brand new Bray Wyatt t-shirts are popping up in the background of segments. So it's not just the old stuff. People, like we've just discussed, are going to go out in enormous number and buy these shirts and have their moments and their memories of Bray Wyatt. And that's not just a memory with them. That's now something that the family will benefit from. And it's not going to replace Bray. It's not going to replace Dad, and nor is it intended to. But that is, at this point, just about the realist connection that people can make with that family to let them know what he meant to them and for them to feel that. And not just through the financial benefit that it will give them, but through, well, probably through the scale of the financial benefit, they will be shocked at the the checks that start coming through because what those zeros reflect is is the love, isn't it? It's the want, the desire of people to let them know just how much he meant to them, even through something as small as the purchase of a t-shirt. And I thought that was quite a quite a nice move that has a lot of nicer consequences for the people that are left in the aftermath of someone's passing. Very yeah, absolutely. A great move by WWE and it'll help but definitely help the family out. He is Michael Hamflet. Follow him on, on X at Michael Hamlet. Check out all his stuff, whatculture.com, uh, podcasts, writings, everything. Michael, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, all the best to you, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Lovely talking with you, Steve. Take care. It was wonderful to catch up with Michael. I met him, uh, I met him uh, uh April 2022 WrestleMania weekend, he and Adam Wilborn and I were at the Ring of Honor uh, Supercard of Honor show together. Such a great guy, and he does he does a really good job with what culture. Uh, it's funny they he call they call him and Michael Sedgwick the Dadly Boys of what culture wrestling, but they do such a fantastic job. By the way, in something we didn't talk about, but you know regarding the suspension, if you will, with CM Punk and Jack Perry. So, as I said, I am here in Las Vegas for the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion. 
CM Punk is scheduled to be here tomorrow night to receive the Iron Mike Mazurki Award uh, from the Cauliflower Alley Club. Now, uh, I will tell you, based on past experience, I doubt anybody will get within 100 feet of him. Uh, not to mention, I got a feeling if he is if he is still coming, it's going to be he comes in tomorrow, probably in the afternoon, does the banquet, does a, maybe do does a speech, and then he's going to get out. So uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of chance for media or anybody to get with him. Um, I do. I am going to be at the uh, award ceremony tomorrow night here in Las Vegas. Uh, I will try to capture the his speech if he gives one and uh, i'll get it posted uh probably on youtube and such and who knows we'll see if he says anything um but i cm punk is is an old school minded individual so i got a feeling he's probably going to stick to just getting the award thanking everybody for the award you know honoring the the legends of of wrestling and such so but we'll see. I mean, I guess anything can happen. So, uh, nevertheless, a uh, huge thanks to Michael Hamflip from What Culture Wrestling for joining me to recap AEW All In and preview AEW All Out. Uh, Going to take a quick time out. When I come back, I'll let you know what's happening in independent wrestling around the state of Texas. Plus, there's another pay-per-view or premium live event, as they like to call them. WWE Payback is this weekend. I'll give you the rundown for that one, plus a couple other nuggets. Uh, that's coming up next on Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is my brutality! This is WWE Superstar Rhea Ripley, and you're listening to Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. I eat, sleep, bleed. The demons in your dreams. Back here on Sports Guys Talking Wrestling, Stu Myrick here. Again, huge thanks to Michael Hamflip from What Culture Wrestling for giving me the time to do the previews and everything from all AEW. As, as I mentioned, I've got uh, a few independent wrestling cards to tell you about across the state of Texas. Uh, we start with Fearless Pro Wrestling, presenting live pro wrestling Friday night at the Houston Premier Arena, bell time, 8 p.m. Central. Aaron Mercer will be there, Izzy James, Missy Marks, and more. That's Fearless Pro Wrestling, Friday night in Houston. Metroplex Wrestling presents Fight the System, Saturday at the MPX Event Center in Belford. Uh, Cole Carter will be there, Aaron Eagle, Slim Seven, Dalen Cavins, and more. That's Metroplex Wrestling, Saturday night in Bedford. And Soar Championship Wrestling presents Tag Team Turmoil, Saturday at the Dallas Elks Lodge, bell time, 7 p.m. Central. Dante Smiley, Johnny Casanova, Kaden Koyama, and more. That's Sword Championship Wrestling this Saturday night in Big D. And that's a look at Impact Wrestling around the area, wherever you may be. Go out and support Independent Wrestling. So as I mentioned, 
not only is you know is AEW all out this weekend, we also have WWE Payback. It is this Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. You get it on Peacock. It will come to us from the PPG Paint Arena in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, this feels like a card that they kind of woke up and all of a sudden figured out, oh, we got a PLE this weekend. We got we to gotta book this. So uh, as of right now, and again, recording this on Tuesday here in Las Vegas, uh, they have six matches on the card. It's uh, The card looks like this right now. You got L.A. Knight and The Miz. This has been a rivalry going over the last few weeks. The Miz feels like L.A. Knight is a copycat of him, or you know, and is a you know trying to steal off the Attitude Era. L.A. Knight has become one of the hottest individuals in WWE right now. The reactions he gets are fantastic, which I'm happy for. I think you know L.A. Knight, Eli Drake. He has worked so hard to get to this point, and it's so great that he's getting the recognition that he deserves. So that should be a fun match. In a steel cage match, this has been one of the craziest builds uh, to lead up. Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, this has been a build that has been quite quite honestly full of misses. Uh, they were supposed to do it, I think, it was originally set for SummerSlam. They decided to push it to the following week on Raw, which and then they didn't do it, and then they did the arena match or the Falls County, or they did the cage match, but they ended up getting counted out, or it was it's or uh, not a cage match, uh, uh, it was a regular match, I think, and then they get counted out, but they brawl all the way through the uh, concourse. You had Zoe Stark interfere when they were up at the merch stand. So we are finally going to get Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Supposed to, it's in a steel cage, so won't have the outside interference or shouldn't have outside interference. Wink, wink. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, for the United States Championship, Rey Mysterio, the Hall of Famer, is going to defend against the former champion, Austin Theory. I really don't want to see them hot potato this title. They need to let Ray keep it for a while. Um, it feels like they're leading towards the breakup of the LWO with Santos Escobar uh, and Ray Mysterio. So you gotta imagine there will eventually be like a turn by Santos Escobar on Ray Mysterio. So I, for that reason, I'm kind of hoping Ray Mysterio keeps the U.S. title on him. But we'll see uh, for the WWE Women's World Title. Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez. Raquel Rodriguez is probably one of the one uh, one of the few that could match up with Rhea Ripley, but again, I don't see them taking the title off Rhea Ripley. She is, you know, kind of like with LA Knight. She's one of the hotter individuals on the roster right now. So I gotta imagine they're going to keep that title on her for a while. I could see her actually holding that title at least to WrestleMania next April in Philadelphia. So we shall see. Uh, for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn facing Rhea Ripley's Judgment Day mates, Finn Balor and Damian Priest. They just did a non-title match where Kevin and Sami won. And I don't see 
Finn and Damian taking the belts off of them this time either. Not to mention they still got to feed that dissension between Finn and Damian. You know, Damian Perry still has the money in the bank briefcase, so he automatically has a shot at a at a title, whether it's the world title or the universal title, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I got to believe that dissension is still going to be fostered. So, uh, And then Seth Rollins defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Shinsuke Nakamura. They played more into Shinsuke uh, knowing about Seth Rollins' back, and they did play some highlights on Raw where, you know, the punishment that he is taking uh, specifically on his back. So I don't see Nakamura taking the title. I think they're going to keep it on Seth for a while. But this will be a fun little rivalry uh, between him and Nakamura, and we'll see. Again, and that's that's the card. Like I said, six matches right now. I suspect we will get at least one or two more probably Friday night on SmackDown on Fox. Uh, and oh, by the way, John Cena is coming back. He'll be on SmackDown this Friday night. So who knows? Maybe he gets booked on payback but uh anyway that's wwe payback this saturday night 8 p.m eastern 7 p.m central get it on peacock from the ppg paints arena in pittsburgh pittsburgh that should be a hot crowd for sure uh let's see a couple other things nwa had their nwa 75 event this past weekend in st louis uh the big story the two big stories first of all ec3 after what seemed like months, has defeated Tyrus. EC3 is the new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, this is his third world title. You know, pair that to put that with uh, the two Impact World Titles that he won. So, uh, and as in Tyrus promised that he is going to retire uh, if he had lost. So. We'll see if Tyrus goes away or if maybe this is going to be he goes away for a little while and comes back. He's got his commitments with Fox News, uh, so he might still do that. We'll see if he steps back in the ring. The other thing, the other, the other big story, Camille, 813 days as the NWA Women's World Champion. That reign came to an end Sunday night. Kenzie Page defeating Camille, ending that reign, a historic reign, one of the longest reigns as women's world champion. I think it fell just short of Jazz. Uh, Jazz held her held that title for 900-something days, I think. So, But anyway, Kenzie Page, the new NWA women's world champion. Colby Carino is your new NWA world junior heavyweight champion. He defeated Kerry Morton. Kerry Morton proclaimed on – uh, X afterwards, he is now a heavyweight. So who knows? He may be trying to line himself up to go up against EC3. Uh, I believe Blunt Force Trauma won the tag titles off of La Rebellion. Uh, Jack Stane did defeat Tim Storm in that rivalry that has, you know, that has gone back years. Uh, and of course, you know, I, I, I love both of them. I know them so well. Uh, so great to see both those guys. Put on a performance in the end. Godzilla Jack Stane defeating Tim Storm. So, all in all, it's uh, from all accounts, it was a great card. Um, they're doing TV tapings. I think they did them yesterday, and I think today 
I, I don't think it's in in St. Louis though. I think they went back to Nashville for those TV tapings. But so be looking, be on the lookout for those on YouTube. Uh, Impact had their emergence uh, special in Toronto. I think one of the big stories was Jordan Grace. After taking some time off, looks like she is coming back to Impact Wrestling. And I think they've got her slated for their next big event, Victory Road. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, otherwise, I think the champions pretty much stayed the same. Uh, except for, I do know the Rascals did win the in, uh, the uh, Impact World Tag Team titles off of subculture. So congratulations to Trey Miguel and Zachary Wentz. So happy for those guys. Uh, you know, I always had a great time. Uh, at during the days at Wrestle Circus, hanging out with the uh, with the Rascals when it was Trey Miguel, Zachary Wentz, and Desmond Xavier. Of course, now Wesley in NXT. Uh, always a great time. Anytime I was around those guys and loving to death. So, uh, congratulations to Trey Miguel and Zachary Wentz, your new Impact Wrestling World Tag Team Champions. So. Uh, as I mentioned, I am here in Las Vegas at the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion. Um, there's going to be some, you know, it, they've got the, the hospitality room, as they call it, where you can do meet and greets and such. I was down there earlier, saw Haku there. Uh, ran, I saw Ron Simmons with JBL and James Beard. Uh, they were down there earlier. It was great to see him. I saw Jimmy Hart. The Mouth of the South, it was great to see him. Of course, B. Brian Blair, the president of the Cauliflower Alley Club. I'm hoping to get an interview with him tomorrow, and if I do, that'll be part of the show next week. Uh, and I'm hoping hope, I'm hoping I'll get try to get interviews with Ron Simmons and Mickey James, who are both supposed to get awards uh, tonight, tomorrow night, here at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, some, But, yeah, it's great to be down, be here in Las Vegas. Uh, hanging out with with Nigel Rabbit and Brittany Hotland and, and uh, the original player Lance Romance, Slim Sevens here, uh, the former Rose Wrestling Academy champion, he's out here with us. Uh, we've been tooling around Las Vegas. I had I had a sip of what was called the Gummy Bear Martini. This thing was gigantic. Uh, the, the young lady that was our waitress, sweet girl told us one of those equals about four drinks. So obviously it's not, not, it wasn't just for me. We all took sips and it had gummy bears and it smoked and everything. It was really cool. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I'm looking forward. I want, we are at the Plaza hotel and casino in Las Vegas. It's on main street and I am literally right across the street from the Fremont street experience. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. Hopefully tonight after the after the Nick Bockwinkle blowout, and and I want to catch you know all the lights and everything. So uh, it should it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward. Of course, I'll be I'll be back in Austin on Thursday and uh, catch all the wrestling. So uh, and I'll I'll have more stories next week on on the show. But a lot of fun to be here in Las Vegas for the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion. Uh, that'll do it for this week's Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. Make sure you subscribe to Sports Guys Talking Wrestling on your favorite podcast provider, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you rate and review the podcast while you're at it. 
that helps the podcast grow and expand. Of course, make sure you, you catch me on social media at Stu Myrick. Uh, and Sports Guys Talk Wrestling podcast is on social media. Just search Sports Guys Talking Wrestling. But for now, I'm Stu Myrick. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you at the matches. Goodbye and good night. <laughs>